Welcome to episode 73 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode's guest is John Mauser. He's the host of Get Strong or Die. He's a strongman and strength and conditioning coach out of Mauser Strengths Dynamics. For those of you who would like to lift hammers over your head and axes, throw kettlebells around, lift overall heavy shit like big ass atlas boulders onto your shoulder, and be a viking, this episode's for you. If you'd like to check out John's services and overall madness, head over to mauserpower.com and on Instagram, at mauserstrength. He's also got a kick-ass book out, Old Time Feats of Strength, Forgotten Strength 101 on Amazon. You'll find the links to all this in the show notes. If you'd like to support this episode, please rate, review on iTunes, and share it with a friend. We'll spread this shit like a plague. For the past uh, 12 years, I've done uh, strongman uh, competitions competitively. Uh, so I've been um, doing strongman. Um, you know, I was actually training for strongman before I was competing, so it's been about 20 years. And uh, periodically I'll do something else like moss wrestling or uh, or uh, grip competitions or something. But uh, what makes you want to do those other things? <clears throat> I'm sorry, what? Uh, what what kind of makes you want to uh, divert from the strongman competitions? Like, is it just excitement or interest? <clears throat> um, you mean with like the moss wrestling or the grip sport or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, well, you know, those are all part of strongman. So uh, you can do a, a strongman competition, and one of the typically there's five events, um, and of those five events, sometimes you'll run into a grip competition uh, or or a moss wrestling tournament will be part of the event. So uh, in reality, I'm already kind of geared towards that. Um, so. You know, just specializing in it briefly isn't uh, doesn't divert me too much from my goals. Um, what makes you geared towards that? Is it just your interest in um, training or uh, your natural abilities? Um, yeah, well, I think I think it's important. Um, strongman is uh, very diverse in its nature. Um, you know, and I, I think. Uh, one of the mottos of my company is strength matters and uh i think it matters in almost all endeavors so i think it's important to uh you know display that on in many different avenues and whether it's strongman or grip sport or moss wrestling or whatever i think it's important to show um you know that that, that general basic primal strength is uh makes a big difference in those things mm-hmm. Um, in your experience since you've been training, uh, how has your training influenced your day-to-day life and your perspective on life? Uh, well, I think um, I think it makes life easier, honestly. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes you have to move some things around and maybe like time or something uh, gets in the way if you don't have time to, you know, or you have to make time to train or whatever. But um Getting stronger only makes life easier. Once once you're once you're strong, everything becomes easy. And if it's easy, you can do it longer and you can do it faster. So um, I, I think it's only it's only helped out really. 
you said you were training for um, 20 years so far as a strongman. Yeah. And every year, how has your goals changed? Um, well, in the beginning, uh, you know, I didn't even know there were competitions, really. Um, I just picked up a few uh, books here and there and um, started started doing some strongman training after reading uh, a book called Dinosaur Training and uh, and getting involved or well, finding out about and reading iron uh, stuff on ironline.com and getting their strength journal Milo. Um, and then I started discovering there were competitions and uh, there weren't any in West Virginia. Um, so that kind of piqued my interest. And then we got some shows going here in West Virginia. I started doing those, uh, a little while after I had started training. Um, so back then really training was just for fun. Um, and then, I mean, it still is fun, but now, um, you know, my goals are geared towards whatever competitions I'm doing throughout the year. And, uh, some years I've only done one or two shows. Um, other years I've done a bunch. I think I've already done, man, I don't know, like maybe eight this year. Um, wow. Yeah, actually, I did one this past Saturday, and I have one coming up this Saturday. So, the, what about um, competition? Do you enjoy? Um, I think it's uh, it's more about the training to me than the actual competition. I think when you <clears throat> when you have a definitive uh, goal, you'll always you know have better results than if you're just kind of training just to be doing it. So I like to pick these competitions and say, hey, I'm going to train for this. Um, I also think that diversity in your training is really important. Um, I know a lot of people will pick, like, one competition and train for that all year. But I think um, you might end up doing well in that competition. But I, I think just training for, you know, three to five events for a whole year, you really lose something. Um, so I, I like to, you know, try to pick a few shows each year and, and preferably them have different, completely different events. Um, and that way I have to really broaden what I'm doing and train for a whole bunch of different things. I think that, that makes me, uh, well, more versatile and, and it makes me better overall, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about that diversity makes you more, uh, versatile? Like there's something that I've, uh, seen in, Jiu-jitsu, where, excuse me, in Jiu-jitsu where someone's, like, really good at uh, arm bars, right? And if they hyper-focus on these arm bars, um, they begin to get, like, a tunnel vision. And then it almost begin, becomes a weakness over time. Is that the same in uh, strongman training? <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, the, probably... Um, Maybe a good example would be uh with like with like a basic lift like uh like a deadlift or something right there's um depending on how you train for that deadlift if you're one of these people that um you know spends an entire workout session doing nothing but deadlifts and you're doing banded deadlifts and all this and you're doing all these things like banded deadlifts and um you're kind of doing stuff just to work on that deadlift. It's kind of hard to explain, but 
you'll get so good at the deadlift, but a lot of that is like a strength skill sort of thing, and you won't get much yeah. carryover to anything else. Um, mm-hmm. I think a good example of that is I've I've done some moss wrestling tournaments, and um, one of the big things everybody will tell you when you get into moss wrestling is all you need to, to deadlift, you have to have a good deadlift to moss wrestle. And that's true. You have to have a good deadlift to moss wrestle, but I have beaten a lot of people that could deadlift more than me. And the reason being, um, they're really good at deadlifting, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're strong. <laughs> if, if, if that, if that makes sense, they, they're just not strong in the, in, in a, a way that carries over to the various angles they may face in moss wrestling. If, if it was straight up and down, sure. They might beat me, but when you add in, hey, I can cut an angle or I can do this or I can do that, um, they're limited. And I think uh, that's what I try not to be. I don't I don't ever want to be limited, um, you know, that, hey, I'm really great at squatting, but that's it. You know, I think I think that's mm-hmm. a, uh, that can be a, a waste. And not very fun, and I would argue that psychologically, um, the enjoyment of something would increase the output or your results. Yeah, certainly. If you're having a good time, I mean, that's uh, that's half the battle, you know. Um, if anything starts to be uh, a grind and you don't want to be there, your performance is going to suffer. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I think you run into uh, – Things like, you know, specialization causes uh, all kinds of um, problems. I don't want to say imbalances necessarily, but, um, you know, it will cause those problems or or, uh, overuse injuries and things like that. So I think it's important to mix things up. It is interesting, which I've seen it in um, the running community, just some preliminary research uh, regarding, like, the overuse injuries and from specialization, whether it's people getting injured from running or even in jiu-jitsu players. Um, but just trying new things um, seems to be the best prevention from that, and it seems tried and true, at least for those preliminary studies. I'll be sure to link some of those studies, too, in the show notes. Um, you described training to be fun. If you could... Could you distill exactly what about strength training that you enjoy? Yeah, I think, well, it's a journey, you know. I mean, you don't um, sign on for that sort of thing and say, well, I'm going to try it for three months and then quit, you know. I mean, <clears throat> I guess some people do that, but that's not the norm. Um, so it, it's a journey, and uh, I think if, if you're going to sign on for that, it's just like just like jujitsu. I mean, if you're going to sign on for it, you're going to be in there for the long haul. Um, so, so I think that's fun because it becomes a it becomes a part of you, and uh, it becomes there's a whole culture around it. Um, so that's kind of cool. And then um, I just like to see how far uh, I can go. You know, I mean, what 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 are my limitations? What are my capabilities? And then um, it's also cool to see what other people can do. I mean, once you, like I said, once you get into that culture, you'll start uh, finding other people doing this stuff, and, and you'll see, you know, just just how far things can be taken. You'll see the extremes and, and, and world records and whatever. So I think that's really cool to see that stuff and compare yourself and uh, be able to set goals based on that sort of stuff. Oh. 
And do you make friends with the, with your um, competitors and your peers and your culture? Yeah, it's not uncommon. Um, I think a lot of people. It, it's actually a thing in strongman. People say that the strongman's the uh, the greatest sport because of the camaraderie and, and sportsmanship. It's not uncommon to be um, competing and having your your rival right beside of you, you know, cheering you on or whatever. That's, that's not uncommon. Um, in fact, I'd say that's, that happens most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a big community there, and everybody, everybody for the most part, gets along. I mean, you know, obviously there's exceptions to that. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's a huge sportsmanship thing there, and it's, it's a very friendly uh, – uh, atmosphere. It's interesting the level of camaraderie and uh, acceptance that you can get from having a goal that is shared. Yeah, that's uh, like I, I. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's certainly true. I mean, everybody. It's it's cool because they know they know exactly what you're going through. You know, they know exactly what the journey is. They know uh, that, you know, even if if you meet a strong man and they're at all serious, you don't know what program they're doing. I mean, you don't know how they're training necessarily, but you know they're busting their ass and you know that there's a certain amount of work put in. And um, I think there has to be a certain amount of respect, you know, just, just knowing that, right? And then when you see the person competing and you see the performance they're putting out, there's a certain amount of respect there, too. Like, hey, you've made it just as far or further than I have. And uh, there's got to be a certain amount of respect there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with um, discomfort in exercise? Discomfort? Yes. Um, I think... I think well, it's that it's there. I think you have to ignore it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, and I guess I don't really think much of it to be honest. Um, I mean, it's definitely there, uh, and in certain um, strongman events, it's it's greater than others. Um, in fact, I would say there are there are some events that are largely. Um, your success will be dependent upon how much discomfort you're willing to take. Uh, and I think that's a thing in some events. Now, it's not the majority of events, but there are some events that, that, that that's the case. Um, so you have to just, you know, kind of deal with that as it comes. In, has that helped you in, like, your personal life in dealing with discomfort? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the any discomfort that you can that you can uh you know suffer through or, or experience is actually a good thing because because then you have reference points right so anything that happens to you outside of that you can always reference back to that and say well at least it wasn't that <laughs> so it makes it it makes a lot of situations better i mean you could you know you could go and do uh you know, like some kind of crazy max distance farmer's lock with 250 pounds in each hand. And, you know, your hands are on fire, your back's on fire, and you're just kind of going and suffering through it or whatever. And then, you know, you go to work or something and your boss yells at you. I mean, what is that? You know, who cares? You know? <laughs> so, 
There's that. <laughs> My experience with just being an amateur in strength training, the amount of psychological distress that is happening during that strength training pales in comparison to psychological distress of everyday life, uh, whether that's social or business. Oh, yeah. Well, you're saying that the uh, saying regular life stress is worse than uh, the weight training stress? Yes. Or no, I'm saying the weight training stress is worse or more intense than the life stress. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would agree completely, yeah. Oh, I mean, in most situations, obviously, there would be exceptions to that, but, um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you know, unless, unless you have a, uh, a coach or something, if you're training on your own, I mean, really, um, the amount of discomfort, <laughs> the real funny part is the amount of discomfort that you're going to go through, I mean, you set it up, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 really up to you to uh, determine that, and then um, and then once you kind of realize that um, that that you're at the the helm of that, um, you you can set that discomfort, and you can really start to train that exclusively, and um, and just see what you can handle and see what you can take, and you can really um, push the limits of that. And, and I do that for myself and the people that I train. I mean, I don't think any of them would disagree that uh, when me and my people go to competitions, if there is a gritty, super uncomfortable event, like, we, we're all going to do really well in that event <laughs> because that's the way we train, you know. Uh, what does it look like to be a strong uh, man? Uh, a teacher or coach? Coach, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it like to set up programs for students like that and um, to take them to these events and prepare them for them? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I, I don't, I mean, there's not really a downside unless you get, unless you end up with like just some kind of nightmare client. But honestly, that doesn't really happen much. I think, um, uh, just, just the nature of it kind of, kind of weeds those out. I think you get more of that kind of stuff if you're just into, um, if you're coaching like on the more general fitness side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, coaching, um, strongman stuff, it's great. It's fun. Um, uh, people get strong really fast from doing it. So like if they've never, um, if they never really, uh, lifted weights or anything before, get really strong really fast. Um, you know, those, those beginner games, but I think it's even faster when you incorporate, um, strongman versus doing just the basic, uh, strength program. And then, um, intermediate people, they're, they're great to train too, um, because normally most people don't have the same, uh, programming style that I do. So when they come to me, even if they've been lifting for, uh, years or, or months or whatever, when they switch over, they'll see usually a pretty big jump in um, their strength just because the variability once we switch over to my programming, they'll, you know, it's just like a shock and they'll get stronger there. And uh, that's always really exciting to see. I like to see somebody that's, um, that's kind of plateaued and then get my hands on them and, and bust through that. And uh, that's always really cool. And then, honestly, advanced people, are the hardest ones to train 
uh, in general because they're at such a level, um, you know, you really have to get creative and you really have to um, understand what's going on in order to get somebody from, let's say, like a 700-pound deadlift to an 800-pound deadlift. That's actually that's really, really hard. Um, or to go from 800 to even 815, I mean, that's, that's really hard just because they've been training for so long and their body has just become stubborn and is like, hey, you know, you're really going to have to do something crazy for me to, to want to adapt to this. Um, so it's cool because there's different, you know, different stuff going on and, and, and all that. That's interesting that you mentioned that, um, that you're, that the body could be stubborn at that point, advanced, um, to adapt to new training regimen. Um, do you believe that, that to be able to adapt to new, uh, routines is a skill in and of itself? Um, the ability to adapt, uh, hmm. That's a good question. I, I've never looked at that as a uh, skill. I think um, I think adaptation probably is not a skill in and of itself. I think the real skill is the real skill would be in um, manipulating the way that you are going to adapt in a way that it's going to be beneficial. So mm-hmm. I think the skill comes through the programming more or less than the actual adaptation itself. When you say beneficial, are you, uh, as a coach, looking for um, the most results in the shortest amount of time, basically the most efficient, or um, with the, or do you focus on reducing injury risk? What is your main focus? Um, <laughs> this will probably sound bad, but uh, usually I'm, I'm focused on, you know, uh, there's competition. It's it's obviously it's getting it's winning the competition or doing the best that you could possibly do at the competition. Um, in injuries, I guess are kind of secondary, and I know that sounds bad, but uh, obviously if you're injured, you can't train, you can't perform as well. Okay, we know that. Um, so you have to mitigate that. So you have to avoid. Um, injury to a certain extent but if if you put avoiding injury as the primary goal well then that means winning is second okay and that sounds good in theory hey we're being safe but safe doesn't win um so you have to find a really really fine line between how uh, how safe can I be and how much do I want to win and where's that line at? And I think that, um, in order to win, there has to be a certain amount of risk involved. So, and I explain that to all my, uh, clients, like, hey, you know, I mean, if you're picking up a 300 pound atlas stone, there's a chance you're going to get hurt, you know. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a certain amount of risk, I think, that has to be involved with that if, if you're competing. Now, if you're a normal person that just says, comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to get a little bit stronger and probably not die of a heart attack by the time, you know, I'm 40 or something, then safety is obviously higher up on the uh, the scale. But if, if they're competing and they're like, hey, I want to win strongman nationals, okay, there's, there's a certain amount of risk that's going to be had in the training for this. And, um, 
you know, you just got to go for it. And, and I mean, those two things aren't exclusive. I think if you're training for performance and you're doing it intelligently, you're, you're, your risk of injury is fairly low anyway, um, if you're doing it right. Uh, and I haven't, we haven't really had any major injuries uh, out of our camp, so I think there's something to be said for that. What are some common mistakes that you see with people getting into um, strength training for strongmen, and what would be your advice to avoid them? I think the uh, there's two big ones. Okay, um, so for a beginner, I think the biggest thing for beginners is they never want to train like a beginner. Most people start out and they'll read and they'll say, hey, I want to start doing whatever program and they'll, they'll jump, you know, maybe they'll do a beginner program for two weeks and then they'll jump into something crazy. I think you should give a beginner program um, such as, uh, you know, starting strength, Mark Ripitov or uh, Strong List 5 by 5 or um, – Bill Stars five by five, something along those lines, or something that Dan John has. Give a uh, a beginner program an honest try and, and try to ride that out for like a year, and um, and, and really see where you're at at the end of that year. It's going to be boring, you know. You're going to be squatting and benching and deadlifting, and that's all you're going to be doing for that first year. But um, you're going to build a very solid base, and you're going to learn how to lift stuff. You're going to um, you can't squat three days a week for a solid year and not know how to squat and not know how to use your legs and your hips and everything properly. Um, it's just like the 10,000 hour rule or 10,000 rep rule or whatever. You got to get that in first. And uh, a lot of people want to skip that phase and they'll start out. Oh, I'm going to do the Russian squat program. You know, I've lifted for a week. I'm ready. <laughs> that's, that's not how that works. Um, and yeah, you should just, do a beginner thing if you're a beginner. It only makes sense. And then uh, the other big thing I think that um, people run into is they they uh, they want to look up to people that are on the same level as them. And, and I think that's okay to an extent. I think if you want to go and you want to follow somebody on Instagram or whatever and maybe they they squat just a little bit more than you or whatever, and you want to follow them, that's cool. But I don't think those people should be um, your heroes or your idols or those shouldn't be people that you're taking a lot of advice from because they're barely better than you or maybe you're better than them. They probably don't know what they're talking about. You should be looking at the best people. You should be looking and say, hey, who's the best person in the sport that I'm in? Um, I'm going to listen to them or the top 10 best people. I'm going to see what they have to say and and train to beat those people. Don't train to be those people. Train to beat those people. And and I think you'll be a lot better off. Um, but, but I see a lot. I see a lot of strength training uh, people, and they'll, they'll tell me, oh, I saw so-and-so do this. I'm like, who even is that, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're taking advice, like, you know, and strength training, like, you know, we talked about earlier, there's a certain amount of risk to it. I don't want to be taking advice from somebody that doesn't know very much. And, um, mm-hmm. but you see it all the time. I mean, I see, I see people in forums and they'll ask the forum, they'll post questions in the forum like, hey, 
is this right? And then you'll get 30 people commenting their opinion, but these 30 people, they could have started listing yesterday. Like, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make much sense to me that you would ask them for advice. Um, yeah. I just don't think it's a very, a very good idea to look to, the, to those people. I think you should look to the top people for advice and look at and what you're doing. You'll find most often that the people at the top are doing the things that everybody underneath of them are saying you shouldn't do. Hmm. Interesting. And what do you think uh, the reason for that is? Well, I think that um, well, this is with any sport. I mean, I, I've seen this in jiu-jitsu. I've seen this in boxing. I've seen this in strongman. Um, I, mean, I think it's easy to infiltrate these sports with with uh, with, with nonsense and, and talk to people. And it's it's easy to to talk and sound like you know what you're talking about, and um, and people will fall for it. Um, I think. Uh, I think a really good example of this is uh, um, deadlifting, right? <clears throat> and um, for a long time, I've taught people to deadlift a certain way. And I get a lot of arguments about it. And, and every video and every article that you see says the opposite. They all say you should squat your hips low and you should use your legs and your back shouldn't round and this and that. But when you look at the best deadlifters in the world, you could name 10 of them and line them up. And I would say nine out of the 10 best deadlifters in the world, they all deadlift with really high hips and they use their back like they're supposed to. And their upper back is rounded. I'm not, now it's not some complete, you know, backgrounding atrocity, but the back is, the upper back is rounded to some extent forward. The hips are high, and they're using their back to lift with, and their legs are assisting. And that's a, that's a commonality across the board. Um, of all the people that have broken a 1,000 pounds in the deadlift, that's how they deadlift. Um, but the common uh, sayings that go around are, oh, use your legs. You should be squatting your deadlift. You should be looking at the ceiling so your back doesn't round. Your back shouldn't round. None of this stuff is true. The top people, they're all looking at the floor when they deadlift. Their hips are all high. They're barely using their legs. That's just how it is. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, Couldn't you argue if, like, if someone were to um, play devil's advocate and say, well, what's their risk of injury like? It obviously would be pretty low if they're able to compete on a national level, right? Yeah, I've heard that before, you know, like, well, they're going to get hurt or whatever. Well, guess what? They haven't. <laughs> I mean, they, didn't, they didn't break that world record, like, and then fall over dead, you know. Um, so, yeah, they haven't been injured, and uh, chances are they haven't been injured that greatly if they're at that level. And, um, yeah, I just, I just don't think there's no evidence of that. I mean, you, they could say that for sure, you know, but I can I could say anything, uh, you know, <laughs> just, they're just saying something is really all. There's no evidence of that. Um, that's something interesting that you key in on is the evidence factor, because you're right. There's a high noise to signal ratio, you know, even with that of the internet. However, it's not all bad. There's, I found you, for instance, John. Um, but there is no evidence of those things. And how do you weed that out? And the only way, obviously, is, well, why do people compete in the first place? 
is to see how they can be the best version of themselves. And if someone's made it to the top ten of anything, I mean, that's something. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. And um, for you, trying to tra- or training to be a strong man, and you would recognize mentors, um, what would be your advice to someone who were able to identify their mentors? Would you actually go and seek them out? Um, what was the best way, in your opinion, to take advantage of those top ten professionals and say? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, depending on how far in or how far down the rabbit hole you want to go with this sort of stuff, yeah. I think it's always important with anything you do to find somebody that's better at it than you are and um, kind of get under their wing and, and, you know, I mean, if you can, go as high up the ladder as you can get and get under that person's wing. And honestly, I used to be... um you know, I used to think, probably like a lot of people, like, oh, you know, I don't want to talk to this person. They'll think, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to bug them or, or they'll never answer me or whatever. And then I found um, just a few years ago, I started emailing some of the top people like uh, Bill Kazmaier and uh, like Mark Henry and uh, Martins Lisi's and a couple other people. I mean, like I'm talking top-level strongmen, and, and they'll actually answer you. They'll, they'll message you back. You can ask them questions. They'll message you back. Um, you know, I mean, as long as you're not asking them, you know, hey, how's your day or whatever, they, they probably they may not answer that. But if you're asking them legit questions like, hey, how can I improve this or how can I do this, in general, they'll answer you. I mean, the people at the top, you know, they they want to share that information. They want to help people. They're going to. Um, so don't be afraid to just shoot them a message. Go on Instagram, shoot them a message. Go on Facebook, shoot them a message. Um, some of these people, they don't, they're not in charge of their own accounts. So you might have to message them on multiple platforms, but I promise you they'll get back to you. And that's the first thing. A lot of these people sell programming too, so you can get right in there with their uh, and get programming. Um, and, and go to a show, and, and if, you, if they're there in person, go talk to them. It really isn't that. Um, difficult, and uh, in fact, if if you want direct proof of this, I started uh, my own podcast not too long ago uh, called "Get Strong or Die," and um, that's on my website, MauserPower.com. But I would just email these people, like uh, Martins Lisi's or or Buck Jeffries or whoever, and uh, say, "Hey, do you want to be on my podcast?" And they would just say yes. Like, it wasn't a struggle. They weren't like, hey, talk to my agent or like, you know, you know I'm going to charge you this to do it. It wasn't anything. Like, they're like, yes, win. <laughs> you know? Awesome. So, so it, it's pretty easy to do it. And then once I realized that, I just started messaging, like, you know, the top ten best. And then so far, they're like, yeah, man, I'll be, I'll do it. So it's not that hard. If, if you want to find a mentor or you want to get under somebody's wing or you want to coach, I mean, honestly, it's it's just all you got to do is just have the guts to send out that first message, you know. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're training, um, what do you use to gauge the success of your training or your progress? Um, I would say that's uh, there would be three things, right? So, um. 
Number one, squatting. I'm a big uh, squat guy. I believe squatting is king. So if your squat goes up, in general, if your squat goes up, that will mean that everything else goes up. So you can almost, in most situations, gauge your progress off of that. Um, The next thing is, is anything else going up? Because if you've been in the game for a long amount of time, you'll probably realize that you're not going to get every single lift or every single type of strength to improve all at once. So then it becomes a game of, hey, I'm going to get this strong, and then I'm going to get this stronger, and then I'm going to get this stronger. So as long as something is progressing in the right direction, you're good to go. And then, um, then of course, com- competition placement. If if you're going to competitions and you're you're, you know, how are you doing? How did you do last year? If you were in the middle of the pack last year and now you're in the top ten, that's obviously progress. Or, you know, you you can base it off of competitions very, very easily because um, it, it's pretty cut and dry. Either you placed higher or you didn't. Do you ever get uh, find yourself stuck in ego um, in the face of a loss at a competition? And if you do, what is your self-talk to get you through that and on the right track? Um, no, I don't think, I don't think I, I don't think so. Um, I, uh, losing is just an opportunity really to learn. And, um, I mean, but I might be, I might be, uh, an exception to the rule here because, um, very early on when I started competing, um, there was a guy here in West Virginia who's notoriously strong in the state and uh you know he would do the competitions that I was at and he was in the same division as me and and uh and he beat me every competition man forever. So um I got really used to that second place spot for a really long time. So it doesn't I mean at this point it doesn't really if I lose it's not into the world, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine that that really speaks well to um, why you train, essentially, is that you mentioned earlier is because it's fun, but um, also trying to become better than who you were before or just improve. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that uh, self-talk is important, though. Um, self-talk, visualization, all that, that's all very important. That, that's an important part of the game, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any difficult moments uh, emotionally when it comes to sh- strength and conditioning training? Um, training? Uh, no, I try to keep, I try to keep that uh, out of there for the most part. I, I'm not a big uh, angry lifter. I'm not. I'm not like. In, I'm not that. I think. Uh, I'm more of a calm kind of uh lifter and I think I think that is uh better in some ways because um longevity's sake. I think you can only be angry for so long. So if you're if you're basing your lifts off of pure rage and anger, um, you know, I don't I just don't see that happening maybe when you're fifty years old. So yeah. Um you know, you're gonna end up being the calm, cool, collected lifter at some point if you stick in the game long enough so you might as well just get used to it and um i also uh 
I try, especially when I'm training, I try to keep stimulation to, uh, to very moderate. You know, you'll get people that snort ammonia caps and stuff in training to get them amped up or they'll blast music, you know, crazy loud or they'll get everybody in the room to yell and stuff like that. And I think there's a time and a place for that, but I think the majority of your training should be done, um, you know, low stimulation and, and trained that way. And then that way, when you go to a competition or something, or if you're going to try to hit a PR or whatever, then you bring those factors in, and, and it helps you out for that moment. But as long as you stay calm and um, keep the stimulation low, I think I think that's a better way to train, and I think that also gives you a much better idea of where you're going to be at the majority of the time. Because if you end up and you don't have all that stimulation are you going to be able to perform the same? Well, probably not. And uh, I think I want to know where my baseline is. Like, at any given day, the moment I wake up, you could wake me up out of bed and I could do this. That's what I want to know what I can do. I don't want to know what I can do when everything's super amped up and in the perfect situation. Mm-hmm. So you, you build an inner resilience, essentially, or a locus of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I just don't—I just don't think that it's—it uh, makes much sense to me to um, have to do all that craziness just just to get through a lift. Uh, I just don't think that—I don't see that. Like I said, I don't think that's sustainable, and I don't—I just don't—I just don't agree with it. That's almost something to be said for life, right? Is uh, if you could find the enjoyment out of your life as it is, as opposed to you know, having it into this, uh, this perfect idea of what it should be and what it has to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think and that's, a, that's a really good uh, point. I think that um, it, it's like the equivalent of if you're unhappy, right, and then you want to buy, uh, you buy a new car just to, like, get this momentary happiness, and then you end up in this bad relationship with somebody because you wanted somebody like that stimulus, you know what I mean? And and then you surround yourself with all this stuff to try to make yourself happy, but but the baseline was never happy, so it doesn't work. Um, I think I think you should be worried more about your baseline strength, and then everything else should really be just um, boosting that. And what do you get out of being a coach? Um, like uh personally, like what makes you what made you want to be a coach in, instead of just a competitor or just a strongman? Mm. Um, well, there was there was definitely a, a niche for it, um, especially here in West Virginia. Like I said, there wasn't there wasn't strongman just um, twelve years ago. There wasn't, and then you know there started being competitions and all the people. Uh, not all of them, but most of the people in the state that were training for these competitions, they didn't, uh, they didn't have coaches. They didn't, they didn't know about, uh, you know, where to buy programs or buy books or learn about this stuff. Um, a lot of people, um, in Strongman also have very, uh, uh, hourly jobs. Like, you know, they work in the, 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 uh, oil fields or coal mines or whatever. So they spend a lot of time at work. They don't have a lot of time to do the amount of research that I had. Um, 
<clears throat> so they they needed that. They needed somebody to say, to to have already done the research for them or already done the footwork for them and said, Hey, this is how you do this. They didn't have time for trial and error. And um <clears throat> like I said, there wasn't any of that here. So I think it was just easy to uh fill that niche. And it's very rewarding, you know, I mean it's pretty cool to see people break um well, break their own mental barriers. I think that's that's usually the first thing that happens. When people start training, you'll see them break mental barriers. A lot of people have a lot of self doubt and a lot of um and a lack of confidence when they come in. And um you can see that break very quickly just from lifting weights. And then to see people take that first step towards competing. Because uh, I would say the majority of people, especially beginners that come in, they they don't have any um, uh, desire, at least outwardly, to compete. And then um, you'll have them do some stuff, and then, that, like I said, that mental barrier will break, and they'll say, hey, maybe I can be strong, you know. And then once that happens, I'll, I'll usually give them a little nudge, like, hey, you know, we got an office division at this competition coming up. Then you get them to sign up for it, and they'll do it, and they'll be, it'll be great, and it'll be fun, and they'll get to see what they can do. And that's always cool to see. And then and beyond that, if if they if they go far, and you know they can break state records, national records, world records, then obviously that's really cool to see. Um, we have uh, out of our camp that we have uh, we have world record holders and uh, professional athletes and things like that. So it's always cool to see. That's an interesting, um, I guess, journey, for lack of a better word, that you described, which is, you know, coming in there with, like, self-doubt and confidence issues or any of those things, and also not having the interest to compete. And then over time, that kind of starts to develop, and the way that they see themselves, um, their character starts to develop. And I experienced that myself. I grew up, you know, very anxious, self-conscious, and angsty, right, like without a sense of belonging. However, when I would do athletics, um, all of those things I had to face or else I couldn't progress further. And it wasn't like – I just had no choice. Like there was no escaping that. Oh, I don't don't think I can, you know, do 200-pound squat or 250-pound squat. Um, And – Every time I was, I wasn't just proved wrong, but I was required to focus so that I could prove myself wrong. I couldn't right. indulge in that self-doubt while doing it because then you break focus and you break form. And I think like growing up, people would tell me about my um, those behaviors and those uh, negative beliefs that I had of myself. Telling me wasn't enough for it to actually cause a behavioral change, but actually facing it through activity itself was like ripped me out of it and flipped the light switch. It was very interesting because it's it's really changed. It's not to be dramatic, but it's it's changed the way that I structure my life and how I view myself entirely. Yeah, I could I can definitely see that. Um... Yeah, I think it's it's cool that you said like people would tell you, um, but you have to experience it. I think I think that's true. Like people can tell you something um, in those situations anyway. Like with with this particular topic, people can tell you and they can point it out, 
and, and you can even see it maybe, but until you've truly experienced it and you're willing to accept it, I don't think that there, I don't think there will be any behavioral change. Um, and I think it's just because the way that, that uh, people are hardwired, you know, um, and, and a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, things in society that uh, perpetuates that. And, and stuff that we're told, even even by our friends and our family, you know, I mean, they, they're not doing it maliciously, but there's just a lot of stuff in society that, that makes people um, want to be, uh, you know, less than confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree that the, there are, um, well, and you don't have these built-in experiences. I mean, at least... I didn't, and the people that I've surrounded myself with, outside of <clears throat> actual skills, right, it's just there wasn't a um, a foundation of confidence and self-belief. A lot of it was, not to uh, put it down, but like math and English. There was no talk of like the self, for instance, and how you view yourself and how you cope with, you know, um, emergent thoughts. A lot of that was kind of like in the background. That was, you know, at home or private at least for the people that I was around growing up. And that was all the way from California, Washington to Idaho, like seeing the difference between rural and urban culture, you'd still see the same thing. It was like, you go to school, you have those, you know, shallow talks with your friends about, you know, social scenarios. And then in school you focus on um, STEM, common core. Um, But I didn't remember having any kind of conversation. Like I think uh, even with my parents about, you know, how I thought about myself, I thought of myself in the world, my abilities, my capabilities. And I think just by by the nature of that, it lends people to um, not be as developed in those areas. Some people, yeah, but I think it's more Yahtzee because there isn't much of a system. And not that there should be within the school because I suppose that could be like indoctrination if the school tells you how to structure your character entirely, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that gets to be a hairy situation if you're talking about the schools. But um, I, I agree 100. percent I don't think that that stuff it's not talked about. And then when it is talked about, you know, it's indirect. And uh, I think a good example is people always say, you know, oh, you should be humble, and especially if you're good at something. Or, oh, you should be humble, you know. And I think. Um, I think what people think is humble is actually bad. I don't think people actually understand what that means. Um, Like, their idea of humble is actually not good, and I think that that's what brings a lot of people uh, down and and stifles their their confidence. Um, Because because humble is, is, uh, is not not knowing that you're good, right? Like, even somebody that's humble still has to know that they're good, you know? And I think, I think that's, that's a thing that's lost. Like, people say, oh, be humble. And then you get these people that don't realize how good they are and, and that they're diminishing their accomplishments just in an effort to try and stay humble. And, um, I think that's, I think that's a bad, a bad thing. You know, I'm not saying you should go around bragging or anything of that sort. Um, but you should be able to openly say, hey, this is how good I am. 
and that not be looked at and viewed negatively. And um, but for some reason it is. You know, uh, I get exactly what you're saying because um, so I practice jujitsu regularly, and I also do a bunch of just a variety of different strength and conditioning flexibility work. And people will compliment me on my progress. And I like chalk up and downplay it so much that they then wouldn't look up to me as a role model because I give off the perception that I either don't know what I'm doing or I don't want to talk about it. And then therefore the people around me might not benefit from, you know, adding different kinds of um, uh, routines into their own lifestyle. And also, uh, you're right. I, I, I work, you know, like the individual works really hard for that. And there is a difference between bragging. And I'm beginning to realize that I don't have to be self-deprecating to the point to where I undermine my efforts. And, you know, I, I become a tyrannical self-critic. Yeah, I think I think that happens to a lot of people. I, I would say most people that that happens to them. And, and it's all being done in the name of being humble and uh I don't think that's being humble, you know. There's, I think there's a fine line there, but um, you know, being humble doesn't mean that you cannot celebrate your own success, or that you can't talk about your own success, um, or, or that you can't make it obvious. I mean, like you said, if if uh, it, it, it would be very difficult for me as a coach to get clients if I told everybody I wasn't very good. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, that's just not a it, that's just not a way to do it. And, and what I find the irony in the whole situation is, you know, everybody wants everybody to be humble and this and that, but it's like the same people that are like, oh, well, you should be humble. Their Instagram feed, they're following all these people that are not that kind of humble. Like all the people that you're looking up to and you're watching and you're, you know, they're not, they're not doing that. And the people that you would hire as a coach aren't doing that. And, you know, if if you were like, if you played a team sport, you said, I want to be on a team, I guarantee you the team that these people are watching and they want to look after, nobody on that team is acting that way. You know? Um, so it just, it, it's just ironic, you know, that, that the, the best people in the world that, that people look up to and are after and would say, hey, I want to be on that team, and then they turn around and don't act like anybody on that team. Like, well, you're, you're probably not going to make it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And um, how, how likely is it that someone is physically capable uh, to develop the necessary adaptations to compete in strongman competitions at a high level? Um, well, uh, so, well, I guess define high level. Are we talking, um, high level as in like professional level or like high end amateur or? So you're mentioning like that's that tendency for people to be, um, you know, overly humble to the point to where it's just, it could be like not positive self deprecation that could limit you from your potential. In um, the scenario that I see from a spectator's point of view, is um, someone watching a strongman competition, a jiu-jitsu match, a UFC match, and I, wow, those people are powerful. They're really good at that. And there's a degree of separateness there. 
that like I, you, you know, that I couldn't get to that level because it's unattainable for whatever reason it is. And I would believe that that is an illusion, um, brought on by that, uh, undermining yourself or downplaying your abilities or, or not your abilities, but your capabilities. I would say that that, that line of thought, I mean, that almost eliminates you from the field altogether. If, if that's how they're thinking, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's that big of a deal. The, the mental side of things is huge. And I try to tell people because we've gotten to a point where I think most people are suffering, um, that way mentally and or emotionally, however you want to look at it. I think honestly it is, it's almost easy to get into something like a sport and do well just by showing up at this point. Because so many people are afraid to put their name in the hat that the people that do are automatically going to do well. Um, and I mean, I have a whole, you know, I have a whole bunch of proof of this because I train so many people. I get people, I'm just like, hey, sign up for this, and they'll sign up and they'll do well. You know, with very little, just a few weeks training or whatever, and they'll do well. All you have to do is show up. I mean, that's, that is literally like most of the battle, just showing up. And, and, and just, but just showing up is, is actually more mental than physical, right? I mean, you have to convince yourself to show up. It doesn't take much effort to walk in. Um, so the mental side of things is huge. But if you show up, I think you'd be surprised at how well you would actually do. Um, most people cut themselves off from that right out of the gate, though. On Instagram, I follow your account, and you do some wild, like, uh, what would I say, strength routines. Is that part of your training, or is that something that you do for fun On in addition to your training? Um, well, it could be both. It just depends on what the, what the particular um, thing was. But uh, like a double hammer lever and seven hundred pound yoke lift. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just did that the other day. So, um, yeah, no, that that was actually um, uh, part of a training day there. I uh, um, I do some performing shows, like some old time strongman type. Um, stuff where, where, you know, you'll get up on a stage in front of a crowd and do like feats of strength. Um, whether it's, you know, bending horseshoes or, or levering a hammer or whatever. Um, but when I'm in competition mode and I'm training for competitions, it's, it's difficult to set aside time to specifically practice for the stage shows. So, um, a lot of times that gets, uh, cleverly integrated into my program. Um, and a lot of what you'll see on my my Instagram page, if it's really, really crazy, it's usually either like a finisher to the workout. It's so like I'll do my workout and then I'll kind of end end by by playing around with that stuff. Um, or it's the warm up. Uh, I have a very um, unique look at or take on um, what a, what an effective warm-up is for a workout. And um, because of that, I I will a lot of times just do, um, like, the stunt stuff or the stage stuff as as the warm-up just, just to get ready for the actual uh, 
competition training. Mm. Mm. Are you, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you having fun with those the stage stuff or the stunt stuff like a child would have fun at the park? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. 100%, yeah. <laughs> I've um, started swinging, uh, like doing what kettlebell juggling lately and more flexibility training. And within the past three months, uh, something clicked within me. And I feel exactly like my son, whereas I'm like, I'll set the timer and my training when I do, you know, more of like the flexibility, like the playful things, right? I'm not going to maximal power or maximal efficiency. Um, I, I'm just having fun, man. And, and I love it so much. It reminds me of when I'm a kid and I didn't think I'd ever be able to experience that as an adult again, unless it was in the company of my son. It's a really nice time to spend with myself. Yeah, that's cool. I think, um, like I said, I think that's an important part of it too, is to make sure that is to make sure that you are having fun. I mean, so, sometimes obviously when you're training for a competition, you go to the gym and you'll be like, "Oh man, do I have to do this again?" But um, I think it's always important to add something in mm-hmm. to where um, you know it's at least somewhat uh, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that you did a podcast on your Get Stronger Die podcast with David Weck. That guy is fascinating. I love all of his Instagram videos. They make me laugh so hard, and he's got really cool mobility stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, so I I didn't even know about him until, uh, man, probably six weeks ago or so, maybe a little bit longer, two months or something. but yeah, that dude is a, he's a lightning bolt, man. I, I think I called him the most energetic man in fitness because he gets amped up, man. He gets wild. Uh, but, but he's a super cool guy. And, um, actually I talked to him. I don't know if you listened to the, uh, the episode or not, but, um, I talked to him and he, and he actually brought up something that, that I had noticed in, um, athletic movement. Uh, and had actually taught uh, a boxer that I was training to do this, um, but didn't fully comprehend it the way that David Weck does. And now that he's talking about it, it really makes a lot of sense. And it's that coiling core um, that he's talking about. And I think this is something that's, uh, I think the people that get on board with him I think they're going to see some pretty wild results from from the stuff that he's talking about as far as the coiling core goes. Those look just that from an outsider looking at that coiling core and where basically he's he's doing like lighter lifts if that's appropriate um, and twisting his body in almost like a yogic way. Would that be an appropriate description? Yeah, um, I think. Um, yeah, it, it's it's very um, mobility kind of related, and but at the same time, um, it, he's coiled. So there's a certain amount of tension that is being built up, and that tension is to be released. Um, so I think that's one of the key factors there. So it's not just movement for the sake of movement. He's actually um, coiling into a position like a spring or, or like a snake would, 
in, in preparing for an explosion to occur. And mm-hmm. but it's it's the exact um, and, and the precise movement that he is talking about because there's there's a difference between an explosion or an explosive movement, but he's talking about a very 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 specific um, explosive mo- movement. And it's a movement that I haven't really heard anybody else talk about. Um, in fact, it was something that I observed that occurred in professional boxers. And um, I was training a boxer at the time when I was discovering this and and had her um, <clears throat> uh, try and utilize this. Although we never did any drills like David Leck, but we talked about it a lot. We discussed it and said, hey, you got to do this to get more power. Um but I think it's great that uh, David Leck has uh, pinpointed this. You know, I think it'll be huge for boxers and runners specifically. I think those two sports could benefit greatly from what David Leck has to say. Especially with that, um, now that you mentioned runners, with I do a little bit of ultra running, and um, with running, you utilize your obliques mainly, and it's really cool because, you, as you probably know, but for the audience, the, you have your uh, left inner and outer oblique and then your right inner and outer. And essentially when your body is, um, when your hips are twisting backward, you're using, like, let's say your right inner and your left outer, and then it alternates to your um, to the opposite ones to the point to where that the muscles don't get tired cause, because they – continually offset the load if i understand that correctly um so you can perform over long distances without feeling cramping fatigue um or any of those symptoms um but the problem is at least in the strength and conditioning realm um is how do you um work on those obliques because obliques are very difficult to target from my understanding and seeing those um you said uh, like coiled um, routines. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I'm gonna definitely have to reach out to him and try to and give it a try. Um, I I have like this little fun. I don't know curiosity. It's kind of how I, I got introduced to you, which is looking at these esoteric uh, strength and condition strength conditioning flexibility routines and whatever sounds fun, trying to incorporate it into a regular routine. Um, and that's where like. Uh, just, you know, asking myself, like, uh, learning how to do shoulder dislocations um, and trying to see if I can uh, function as a contortionist and also function as, uh, you know, in strength training, which there's a lot of challenges to that because there's a lot of – there's argument, and I'm probably ignorant for thinking otherwise, that uh, you can't be extremely flexible and strong. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, pretty um... – Inaccurate, I think. Uh, you, there's a, I mean, uh, man, just go to Instagram and look up um, John Call or Juji Mufu, um, and uh, he that'll he, he alone will prove that wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, or uh, Bud Jeffries is another good one. <clears throat> you know, I weigh three forty and I can do a full split. Um, Bud really? Jeffries can do. Yeah, I can do it. I can do a full split. I have a few um, pictures up on my uh, Facebook and Instagram of that. Uh, oh, and, that's rad. Uh, but Jeffries can do a full split, and he weighs, uh, I think, 290 now or something like that. Um, and then Whoa. Juju Musu is just 
incredibly uh, flexible. And, you know, he's, you've probably seen videos of him. He, he, he'll he do, like, the deadlifts, and then he'll do a backflip, and then he'll do another deadlift, and he'll do a backflip. Well, what? <laughs> yeah, you need to look him up. He's great. <laughs> what? Um, but, yeah, I mean, he would be proof. He can walk on his hands and do backflips and all kinds of stuff, and, and he deadlifts, like, I don't, I don't want to cut the guy short or anything, but I think he deadlifts around 700 pounds. And, I mean, he's strong. Um, he actually – I did a competition in Philadelphia. Um, it was a grip competition. Actually, I did two competitions in the same day. They had a grip competition and a moss wrestling competition, and I did them both. And um, Juji Mufu was at the grip competition. And uh, I don't know if we were in the same weight class, but – Regardless, I'm pretty sure he lifted more than I did on most things. <laughs> and, wow. and, uh, and this, this dude is like, I actually have a picture on my Instagram of me and him doing a split together. Oh, um, what? Yeah, I mean, he's super strong. He can do a full split. He can walk Whoa. with his hands. He can do back slips, the whole nine yards. Um, his website oh, is, his website is uh, Acrobolics, I think. Acrobolics.com. I'm sorry, I'll put that in the show notes, too. Acrobolics. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Acrobolics. And, I mean, he's an incredible dude. Um, and then, like I said, Bud Jeffries is, is the same. Uh, the, the cool thing about Bud is, um, number one, he's flexible. Number two, he's, like, out of this world strong. But he's also uh, very um, coordinated, like I would say, uh, like top elite level um, coordinated. And um, you know, he, he, I've seen him throw uh, like like pennies in the air, and then throw like a hatchet behind his back and hit the penny. Um, Whoa. Yeah, I mean, like crazy stuff, right? And and he's two. I think he's like two hundred and ninety pounds. I mean, he's a big dude. And uh, I interviewed him on uh, my podcast not too long ago. It's a pretty good episode. But um, yeah, he's probably my number one uh, Instagram follow is Bud Jeffries. I love watching his stuff. Uh, <laughs> I just watched the. Um, sorry, he's like he did a kettlebell swing. And shot an arrow and popped a balloon and caught the kettlebell before it dropped onto the ground. What? Yeah, yeah Bud Jeffries is wow. That's impressive. Yeah, so he's he's one of the guys that um, that I've kind of looked up to uh, for a long time, and um, yeah, he's incredible. And so I think you know if you watch some of these people um, and if you can find them, you know they're out there hiding and lurking in the shadows, but. uh there's people out there that will prove all that stuff wrong. People say, oh, if you're big, you can't be fast. Well, there's a, there's dozens of people that can prove that wrong. And then, and, you know, if you, you can be flexible, well, obviously that's incorrect because you've got guys like me and Bud and uh, Juju Musu. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, that stuff, anytime somebody says you can't, that's basically, that's, that is your green light to go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah, that's when I get fired up, man. <laughs> like, yeah, people that, that's were telling me that, that, like, good luck, and that made me so excited just because, I don't know, I've always had a problem. I, I thought it was I've always had a problem with authority. And, yeah, any, when anyone tells me I can't, I light up. And, um, 
<laughs> that's the like the other thing too when you said he could walk on his hands. Uh, I've felt it's the strangest thing, but that has been a compulsion—not not a compulsion, but an interest that that has developed over the past like uh, six months was walking on my hands uh, like you would your feet, like full uh, what is it, full stability, and then also doing being able to drop to full splits. But the walking on my hands, I would obs- not obsess, yeah, obsessively. I'd spend like every time I go to the bathroom, I'd work on my handstands, and it was just because. Yeah. I can wait when I could. And it's like, that's weird. Why, why do I want to – I don't understand why I liked it so much. <laughs> well, it's just one more, one more thing to see what you can do, you know. Um, did yeah. you check out uh, – did you, did you look at Juju Mufu's page on there? Yeah, yeah. And I'll be sure to uh, drop their Instagram handles and websites in the show notes. And, wow, he is strong. Oh. Mm. Yeah, that dude. That dude's pretty crazy too. Mm. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I've noticed too is is uh, you had a post on Instagram and you were lifting something right, and you were leaning back in such a way that your shoulders would be behind your butt, like you didn't have your you had your the center weight right over your hips. Um, and the reason why I'm asking is when I do deadlifts, uh, kind of like what you mentioned before, people would tell me there's a very specific way to do this so you don't get injured. Um, how do you, regarding form and bearing load, what do you look for to avoid injury? Um, well, I mean, it really depends on, um, it really depends on what type of lift it is, you know, like where, where you're carrying the load and, and, and then a lot of time the object um, will dictate a lot of what you do. But uh, in general, as long as you can keep the weight over your hips and or as close to your hips as possible, you'll probably be okay. Um, your hips, your hips are uh, involved with some of the strongest muscles in the entire body, so your hip can handle more load than anything else. So if you can keep an object, um, if you can keep the load centered uh, on the hip, then you know most likely you you won't you won't get injured. Um, now that's not foolproof, you know, completely, but yeah. most of the time that'll be pretty safe. And um, I know. Yep. Go ahead. I think I know the lift you're talking about. When you lean back, right? People, are, oh, that looks bad. You lean back or whatever. And well, sure, but you have to understand when you lean back, where is the load, right? If if I'm doing, let's say, let's say I have the weight racked, um, like a front squat, right? Like right under my chin, right up against my neck, and then I lean way back to where my shoulders are behind my butt. Well, that that'll probably put a lot of stress on my back just due to the to the to the way the weight, you know, the lever arm, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you drop that weight down on the body and you have that weight centered, um, like more like a zercher squat, or the or or more like how you would carry something, like the weight is braced against like you know, your diaphragm or lower chest, upper belly area. Mm-hmm. Well, when you lean back, the weight the weight is not high enough up on your body 
to to cause any problems, right? The weight is actually still centered over the hip. It doesn't matter where your shoulders went. The weight is still over the hip. Um, I like to compare it to uh, like a judo throw, right? So if if um, if you're doing judo and, and they do the same jujitsu too, uh, and you you hop in front of the person, you turn your back to them, and then you shove your hips out, and they 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 fly over, you throw them over your hip. And there's a moment where you're carrying the person, and you're carrying that person. Uh, the full weight of the person is on your hips, right? And martial arts is um, based on the idea that a smaller person can beat a larger opponent. So you can assume that this move was created um, so that a smaller person could throw a larger person. And uh, under that assumption, then that means that you can carry safely a larger human being than yourself on your hip in that position. Um, the difference being that you're leaning forward and their their uh, their weight is being carried on the back side of the hip. Well, I think it would be reasonable to say that uh, following those same guidelines that you could lean back and carry a decent amount of weight across the front of the hip as well. Um, and they're not there wouldn't be a problem. Um, so it would just look bad would be the only would be the only problem. <laughs> Um, and, and I believe that wholeheartedly. I've never had an issue with um, leaning back uh, unless something went wrong. You know, if you're doing it and something goes wrong, but if you're doing anything and something goes wrong, there can be an issue. Uh, but, yeah, I just don't see a problem with it. If you lean back, as long as the weight is over the hip, you're gold. Do you develop, like, a certain level of uh, body intelligence or a sense of awareness of weight distribution and what feels um, structurally sound to your body. For instance, um, from yoga, right, I learned to tuck my tailbone back as if I'm trying to pour water out of the top of my tailbone and squeeze my ass cheeks um, while I would bend my torso backwards and that supports my lower back. Um, however, before I knew how to fire my glutes effectively like that and had uh, uh, a higher level of control of my pelvis, I just like lean back and splay out my hips, you know. Um, but now I've noticed that I have like an intuitive awareness within my body, uh, only really slightly, of like what is structurally sound. Do you have that same level of um, of awareness? And can you notice when weight is depra- displaced improperly? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, uh, yeah, 100% for sure that, that is a thing. And, um, I think that, I think that, um, a lot of people don't have that. And I think that everybody's ability to pick up on that is, is different. And with coaching, um, especially with coaching people, it becomes, that is one thing that I try very hard to make sure that everybody understands because not everybody gets it. And it's not an easy thing to just explain verbally to someone. Um, it's one of those things you learn by doing. And if, if they're not a person that learns that way, um, then that's a hard road, right? I mean, that takes a while. Uh, but I think it is, it is very important. And, um, 
that's another reason that I like variability in doing a lot of different stuff. Because, like you said with yoga, right, you you learn surely how to do stuff through yoga. Um, and, and I've done the same thing when I did yoga. I learned um, a lot of really cool stuff that helped out with my jiu-jitsu game and helped out with strongman. And I think you should do a lot of different stuff to improve your body and your physical capabilities because it may not be the activity itself that helps you, but somewhere along the line you're going to hear something or you're going to do something and something like what you just described is going to happen. It's going to click and it's going to make everything else that much better. And, um, I mean, that is a huge thing. You sh- everybody should be going out and trying different things and trying yoga because, um, like I said, it, it, it's only going to help you out. You're going to hear some cue. You're going to hear something, and it's going to click, and and it's going to make a huge difference in your game. That is really helpful, John, because that's something that I get critical on myself or uh, worrying in some fashion is how all over the place I can be with my conditioning. While I'm consistent, it's like uh, I almost look at all these disciplines, and it's like trying to incorporate bits and pieces of them into you know, one cohesive thing. And it's like some people are, you know, they tell me, why don't, why don't you specialize in anything? You know, you'll just get like mediocrity or something like that. And like, it, it's hard for me to do anything else, honestly, just for like how I naturally deviate. But <clears throat> you put a lot of it into perspective for me and it was really helpful. Yeah, I think um, it, it can be overwhelming because there's so many different things out there. Um, you know, you have a, you, know, you have kettlebells, you have mace swings and an Indian clubs, and you have old-time strongman, and you have all this stuff. And it is hard to structure all that um, into some, like, giant uh, strength and conditioning program um, within a seven-day period or even, like, a 10-day stretch. It's hard to do, um, and, and that's why uh, I mentioned earlier with the warm-ups, I put – I put a lot of stuff into my warm-up. Um, I, I mentioned that I have a, a unique take on warming up, and um, uh, that take is very simple, right? It it's kind of follows the lines of, um, like, Dan John uh, or, or Mark Ripito. But I don't think warming up is that complicated. I don't think it's a complex thing. And I think that most people that are telling you, like, hey, do this warm-up, um, they're lying to you or they're selling you something. Something is going, there's some kind of trickery going on there because or we're not talking about the same thing because I'm talking about warming up. Like, you know, the only goal of warming up is increasing your internal temperature so that your body is prepared for activity. And um, so my warm-up is never the same. I don't have a squat warm-up. I don't have a deadlift warm-up. Um, I have things that I will do to warm up. That's when I practice a lot of the crazier things. So if I'm going to lever an axe, you know, I just make it part of the warm-up. I'm not trying to kill myself, um, you know, levering some world record right now. It's just uh, that's on the back burner. So I do just enough to to maybe get a little bit stronger and maintain my levering strength. So I put I put axe levers and hammer levers in my warm-up. And um, I've been training with a guy to learn how to do uh, steel mace swinging. And, mm-hmm. um, and and I do that in the warm-up. I don't have time to do that 
as its standalone workout. I just don't have the time to do it right now. I'm competing. Like I said, I, I have three competitions this month. My third one's on Saturday. I don't have time to spend an hour swinging a mace, so I do it in the warm-up. And then I just create a circuit. You know, if I want to do mace swings, kettlebell flips, and hammer levers, that that's my warm-up. I just go, you know, round and round and add a little bit of weight to the hammer, a little bit of weight to the mace, a little bit of weight to the kettlebell swings. And then once it gets to the point where it's kind of actually becoming a workout, I know I'm warmed up, and then I go squat where I go deadlift, where I go lift atlas stones, or whatever the case is. But that's that's the warm-up, and you can get a lot of really cool stuff done during the warm-up. So if you're looking to learn new stuff, learn it during the Mm -hmm. warm-up. I like that. And um, that's also a good time to get good at stuff you're bad at, right? I mean, the more frequently you do stuff, the better off you are going to be um, at that particular activity, right? I mean, anybody that does jiu-jitsu five days a week is going to be better than somebody that does it one day a week, right? That's just how that works. So if you have a lagging list, let's say your deadlift isn't very good, well, do a warm-up deadlift every day. Add it into the warm-up. Put 135 on the bar and deadlift it during the warm-up and treat it, take it seriously and treat it like it's a thousand pounds, get ready, brace yourself, lift it and do that. And and even though it's only 135, you're building a skill and learning how to deadlift and, um, and, and it'll get better. And, and at that low of uh, intensity level, you can do it every day. You know, if, if you were maxing out every day, that would be a bad idea, but you can, there's a certain amount of weight that every person could get away with deadlifting every single day. So you figure that out, and you put it in the warm-up, and you do it, and then you get better at something. And it's just all about time efficiency, really. Mm-hmm. How many days are you um, training at maximal effort? Or how many days a week? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it kind of, it's kind of been crazy with all the competitions I've been doing. Um, because in, in general, what I like to do is I'll take a week off before a competition. I don't train the week leading in. And then I compete, and I usually take the week off after the fact. So every competition, I lose two weeks of training in, in, in most situations. But, but because I've done so many competitions, it's kind of been out of whack. Um, so training has been kind of crazy. But in an ideal situation, um, I usually – will do, uh, like, max effort training four days a week. And I only do a max effort on, on one lift in those four days. Like, uh, let's say Monday is, like, an overhead press day. Um, I might do max uh, effort on overhead press, and then um, everything else after that will be pretty sub-maximal mm-hmm. within that workout. Mm-hmm. What does uh, working hard look like to you? I say this because I meet some people, including myself at certain times, where it's like if you're not putting in that maximal effort every time, it's like, you know, that whole mentality, working, work hard, right? Um, however, it seems that there's people who follow more work smart, not hard. Well, I think work with the people that say work smarter, not harder, um, 
I've, I, I think that's, that's a, I think it sounds good, but I think, I think it's a, not a good theory. Um, I think you should be obviously working smart, but you should be working as hard as possible and as smart as possible. Neither one should be outrunning the other. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, um, I think that, uh, and a lot of that's individual too. I mean, uh, for instance, the bigger you are, the slower your recovery rate is. A, a 150 pound, um, male is going to recover faster than a 350 pound male. That's just how that works. Uh, you know, there, there's more mass to recover from. A 350 pound guy has a lot of muscle mass to recover from the damage that's dealt. That's just how that works. Um, uh, the older you are, the slower you will recover. So if you are large and old, <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to be pretty smart about what yeah. you're doing. Um, and then you have to factor in everything else. If you're large and old and for some reason you have a crazy job and you only sleep four hours a night, well, guess what? You recover even slower now. And if your diet is, is garbage, you recover even slower now. So you have to be realistic with um, – uh, and I use realistic loosely um, because what most people think is realistic and what a competitive person, two different things. But um, you have to be realistic with what's going on and say, okay, well, I'm 350 pounds. Um, my sleep schedule is just terrible. Uh, I'm 51 years old. Uh, the only thing I got going for me is I eat right. You know, you, you have to factor all those things in to what you're doing. Um, and, and if you can do that, that's where the smart part comes in, right? And if you can do that, then you're going to see really, really, really good results, e- even in that situation where you're bigger, older, and, and never sleep, right? <laughs> I saw that you had your own book out. Um, but Would you like to explain to the audience what that book is? It looked awesome. Uh, yeah, so it's just a short uh, um, instruction manual on um, three of the old-time strongman lifts. So you'll learn um, uh, how to tear uh, a deck of cards in half. Um, they, there's also a uh, horseshoe bending section. And then um, there's the, what they call human hammer. And, and that's basically you take a nail um, in your hand and you swing it through the air, and you slam the nail through a board with just your hand and no, and no hammer. Uh, I think oh, I probably have a video of that on my Instagram. Um, I'll put it on the website. <laughs> cool. That's uh, that's one of my favorite old-time um, feats is the human hammer. Uh, I've been working on some more advanced stuff with that lately. I've never seen the human hammer done before. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, um, there's, uh, I've seen Bud Jeffries do it. Um, there's a guy named Chris Ryder. They call him, uh, Hercules. He just got put in, uh, Ripley's, believe it or not. I've seen him do human hammer, um, recently. And then, wow. um, and then there's Dennis Rogers. Um, Dennis is actually 
like the grandmaster of old time strongman. Um, he's he's the most uh, sought after strongman in in the world uh, for old time strongman stuff, and he runs the old time strongman university, uh, which which uh, me and some of my people uh, actually went and graduated from, and uh, so he, he's kind of he's a he's a mentor of ours. Uh, Dennis Rogers is, and uh, he actually trained Bud Jeffries. And, um, yeah, he does the human hammer and he probably does it better than anybody I've ever seen. (laughs) So he's pretty cool to see him do it. And then I will definitely leave a link to in on the website to that human hammer and Dennis Rogers. Wow. Superhuman training workshop. That is cool. It's something that reminds me of what I told my son today is he was talking about. I'm being a superhero and I'm getting them on like, uh, like strength and conditioning, um, just playful. And I'm like, you can become a strong man if you want. And that's exactly like a superhero. You can train yourself for the adaptations or you can be like, um, the guy off Fantastic Four who has like the rubber arms. And it's like a contortionist, man. I mean, yeah, those things are nimble in some way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Is there anywhere that people can uh, – what, what's your website so people can check out your podcast and, and your gym and any events you guys have coming up? Yeah, go to uh, Mauser, uh, M-O-U-S-E-R, power.com, and um, we, have a, we have a list of all of our uh, competitions. The podcast is on there. Um, all the, the, the products we sell are listed on the website. Um, we sell the Mauser block. It's a, a new strongman piece of strongman equipment it's being featured at the strongman national championships in october um there's there's world records set with that thing um yeah there's a bunch of cool stuff on the site check it out all right sweet and um thank you so much man i really appreciate you coming on john yeah no problem thanks for having me it's been a pleasure Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can go and check out John Mauser's uh, strength and conditioning program at mauserpower.com and check out his mad um, warm-ups and routines at Mauser Strength on Instagram. And you can also find all the resources that were mentioned in this podcast in the show notes along with uh, John's book, Old Time Feats of Strength. And if you guys like this episode, please rate, review on iTunes and Google Play and share it with a friend. Uh, You can also pick up a flat bill on the website, becominghumanpodcast.com. Thank you guys for listening. I'm going to play you out with a track by Idea and Abilities. been held in anyone's arms when you've never been moved it's really hard to move on a young saleswoman sets up shop when the sun sets you make it loud the screams come true at a price you won't forget the sadly married set up alibis no harm no regret hoping they meet an angel in bed that could wrestle the devil right out of their heads the city runs fast no one has time to sit with themselves no time to look into our pain or see
the same despair But everyone else is here, it's there, it's everywhere Tears soak each card the dealers dealt Time taught me how to see every second is heaven Even though the perfectly disguised is hell And I refuse to let past bruises cover the light It ain't all good, but it's all good enough So I know I'm alright Agony is truth, it's our connection to the living I accept it as perfection And keep on existing in the now That's all I'm here for Despite the wars Founded by the rich Funded by the poor Kids barely 18 are dying So billionaires can make more Elsewhere hungry mothers Watch the baby starve to death In a beat up shack on a dirt floor The aged professor quotes Freedoms without a path Now he dresses like a widow And preaches love is dead in every class But curiosity killed the cat And taught the dog and him how to act and Burned his bridge to Jill So he tries to drown the guilt With a bottle of Jack Self-proclaimed rebels Say we must oppose Gotta take a stand If you're not against them, you're with them The science reads, support the troops, bring them home No more innocent victims But when a homeless veteran asks for spare change They're too busy protesting to even listen And I'm no different, I live in conflict and contradiction But it can be so beautiful When I don't reject what lies within It's beautiful the way agony connects us to the living I think of the world when I hurt And keep on existing in the now I can only build if I tear the walls down if it breaks me, I won't let it make me frown I'm falling, but no matter how hard I hit the ground I'll still smile I can only build if I tear the walls down Even if it breaks me, I won't let it make me frown I'm falling, but no matter how hard I hit the ground I'll still smile